Hello and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good afternoon. How are you today? I'm alright, thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing what was a bonanza of football, especially yesterday. Oh, I had a lovely day yesterday. I got to watch three games, which is very, very rare for me. Um, but uh, girlfriend was very much sat in the corner, and I had the telly all to myself. And which was your favourite of those three games? Uh, probably the first one, yeah. Arsenal. I, I would agree. The second was definitely not my favourite, but we'll uh, we'll get onto that a little bit later on, which brings us nicely to the last game. It does indeed. Liverpool nil, Manchester City nil. The game of the season is what it was billed as, and it was far from it, but it was still an intriguing contest. It was, yeah. It was one of those games that you sit down to watch and you get really excited about, and it sort of gets to the 70th minute, and you don't want to leave the room because you're just waiting for it to catch light, but it never really did yesterday. And there were obviously chances, and the way that both teams set up, given the ties that they had in midweek in Europe, it was probably always going to be a game that, that took a little while to get going. And I know that we will come on to talk about what happened in the last few minutes, but there was a lot of good stuff from both teams early on, and it was just a shame that there weren't more clear-cut chances throughout. Yeah, I found it very interesting that, obviously, Manchester City are very wedded to their own kind of philosophy and style of play, and and it did look as though they were a little bit more cautious and, and they were conscious of, of what Liverpool had to offer. And, you know, we've seen uh, Pep Guardiola talk about Liverpool and Jurgen Klopp and he's, he's he's frightened by them to a certain extent. The experience that he's had uh, earlier on this year and the other three games that they've played have all been negative. So I think he had to do something a little bit different. And I think they set out to keep the ball for as long as possible and uh, keep Liverpool away from their 18-yard area, which was completely the right thing to do I think in doing so though they possibly stifled themselves somewhat as well and I think that that's the interesting element of this yeah I think both teams cancelled themselves sorry cancelled each other out and and possibly themselves within that like you say I think that there wasn't a shot on target for the first half hour of the game and although they were trying to create chances nothing really fell right for any of those positions or players that were up the field and it's a shame as a neutral to watch that happen but it is intriguing at the same time like you mentioned at the start and I think that Guardiola is fearful of Klopp. He's fearful of the way that he sets his teams up. And he's also quite intelligent in his approach to games like this because he went out in the press at the start of the week and he spoke about the importance of the midweek game that both teams had. But also he had one eye on the Liverpool game on Sunday. And you could sort of see that from his team selection. And and I think that the way that he discussed Firmino, Mane and Salah and, and basically talked them up throughout the week in his press conferences, in the interviews that he did with the, with the club, just almost added a bit of pressure to them. You, you saw Jeff Shreves interviewed, I think it was Sadio Mane before the game, and Mane was quite surprised at the comments that Guardiola had levelled at those three players, because I think from a Liverpool point of view, they see it as more a, a team ethic and a team performance, whereas it's often those three that get the headlines. And, and maybe it was a tactic used by Guardiola to try and take those players' minds away from working as a team and, and, and maybe thinking a little bit more individually and possibly it worked. Yeah, potentially, yeah. And I think, you know, we we have to touch on the fact that Manchester City could have won the game and it would have been the perfect away performance as well. A clean sheet and uh, assuming that nothing happened after the penalty. But the penalty itself from Riyad Mahrez was obviously an absolute shocker. I don't think there's any two ways around that. But, you know, they would have been so disappointed to let that slip. And, you know, they could be top of the league out right now. And, and it could be a different dimension for the rest of the season with the result. That said, I think they have to be very, very happy with the performance, very happy with the point. And potentially Liverpool out of the two are the more frustrated and disappointed. Yeah, you wouldn't imagine that there'll be many teams that will go to Anfield this season and keep a clean sheet. No. So I think if Manchester City are going to take a positive from the game, it has to be that. It's going to be difficult because you will look at it as three points lost ultimately. And I think that the the way that Mares stepped up and took the penalty, he didn't look confident. Players went and spoke to him before the, 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 the spot kick was actually taken. Obviously, he had a bit of a disagreement with Jesus who ended up walking away. But he's not got a great penalty record. And I think it was, I think they said that he scored three of his last eight, which means that he's missed five penalties. Yep. That's a really, really poor record. And I'm not convinced that the were no other City players on that pitch yesterday that, that, that could have stepped up and taken that in such a, a crucial moment in their season. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we have to look at Liverpool as well. They're at the, at the end of a tough run of games. Uh, Chelsea twice and Napoli as well. And at times they looked potentially a little bit leggy. And I, I wonder whether that potentially played a part for them, whether they're happy to just kind of contain Manchester City and, and not necessarily go for it equally. You know, we, we know what uh, Manchester City did and how they defended as well. So do, do you think it, there was a case of tiredness in there? Do you think they just need this international break now? I think it's possible. We we, we looked a lot at the players that both of those teams have um, and, and we, we talked about it a lot early in the season when we discussed the different um, competitions that they would be playing in and I think that you have to have a big squad and I think I've said quite often that I believe Manchester City's squad is of a better quality than yeah. Liverpool's when you dig a little bit deeper and I think equally um, Liverpool have a very strong start in 11 but there are players in there who may struggle to come in and, and, and fill the void that certain ones will leave and I think James Milner was a big miss for them yesterday when he went off he's somebody who tends to cope very well with playing a lot of games and obviously that's why he retired from international duty because he wanted to be as fit as possible for his club and he's been pivotal for them so far this season and if he goes off with a hamstring injury that probably shows you how much impact the, the recent run of games has, has, has had on these players' bodies and it will be something that we talk about for a long time in the English game because there seems to be absolutely no help coming from the FA when it comes to these teams it would probably make more sense to play a game like this on a Monday and um, if that means that the players go to international duty slightly later on I don't necessarily think that that's a real problem um, but other countries seem to be very good at helping out their Champions League teams and the FA don't seem to want to do that with England and uh, and, and its representatives in the Champions League. So tiredness may well have played a part, but I don't think that there's anywhere to hide with that really because when you see the fixture list at the start of the season, you know how much recovery time your side have got and how long it's going to take each player to get over playing a midweek game and then a Sunday. Indeed. Well, it was a draw and it makes the league much more exciting, keeps title race well and truly on. Two points separate in the top five as well. And Liverpool and Manchester City both level on 20 points. And then we've got Chelsea as well, following a 3-0 victory over Southampton. Absolutely, and this was a game that I didn't really enjoy watching. I had no expectation from the start because when Southampton tend to come up against top six sides, they never tend to get anything. And it was clear from the start of the game yesterday that there was very little chance of them getting anything because they just gave Chelsea too much respect. Certainly for the first 20 minutes, it was a case of attack against defence. And it meant that Mark Hughes had to change things but I think all that change did was really give Chelsea a different way of attacking and, and it wasn't a surprise to see that Hazard scored the opening goal. What would say though, Southampton having watched them at Wolves last week and I, you know, I ripped into them, I slated them, they were very, very poor. Um, I thought they were much improved and, and I think you know they, they looked, certainly looked more likely to score and create chances which was nowhere near what was happening last week. I thought the fullbacks got forward, particularly Bertram, very, very well. Um, and obviously Gabbiadini comes in, and, and I, I thought he had a decent game, to be honest. I don't think he did anything special, but I think he just added that extra dimension with that little bit more directness as well that I think you probably lacked, certainly the week before. And, you know, we'll talk about it, but the issues are obviously defence. There's, there's mistakes there. They're just littered with mistakes. And there's... I think probably not having a settled back four probably doesn't help as well. Obviously, there was changes yesterday. And, and there were probably the right changes to begin with as well. I, th I thought that that was the sort of formation you should be playing. But obviously, if you give someone of the quality of Chelsea the opportunities, they will just take advantage. Yeah, I think that Chelsea just moved the ball too quickly. And I think that as much as there were defensive frailties yesterday, the midfield has to take responsibility for the way that they allowed those Chelsea attackers to basically just walk their way through. There was far too much space and time for the likes of Hazard and Barkley. William wasn't closed down enough. And this is where Mark Hughes has to really stand up and be counted because he started with a uh, back three and then he moved it to a back four. He left a central defender at right back and straight away, Sarri moved Hazard over to the left-hand yep. side. And it's just not a tactical approach that you would associate with somebody who's been in the game for so long. You would have thought that if you're going to work on something all week in training, then it's there because you think it's going to work. That you, I mean, the fact that they then decided to just change completely after 20 minutes didn't really have a huge impact on the game overall. And you would argue that the chance that Danny Ings misses at nil-nil could have probably changed the game and I probably wouldn't have wanted any other player in that Southampton side for that chance to fall to because he's been very good in front, front of goal this season but against the bigger side you have to take those chances and if you don't you know that you're going to get punished. Yeah absolutely I, th I think I wonder from your perspective is the same old story we've seen Southampton so far this season 
arguably play better and lose and then you know they they beat Crystal Palace for instance and it was probably their worst game of the season is how how does that work is that is there something in that or is it just pure luck is it coincidence i think it's it's the fact at the moment is is that there there is no confidence in that side i don't think that there's a leader in the side either and Ryan Bertrand's been picked as the captain i think that he's a good player I think that he's probably a good personality to have around the squad but I don't think he's a leader and he, he wouldn't necessarily be somebody that I would look to to inspire me if I was one of the younger players at the club I think that Danny Ings has probably shouldered far too much of the attacking um, responsibility so far players like Charlie Austin and Shane Long although they've been on the periphery I know that it was Gabby Adini's first start on Sunday haven't really chipped in either and I think that Hughes probably needs a, another 15 or 20% from his players the one positive about the the next 10 days or so is that he should have time to work with those players because less and less of them are being called up for international duty as a result of poor form in the league i i wonder whether it, it's going to take something like an injury to change things for us to really force his hand and i think that dropping vestergaard on on sunday was a brave decision because i don't think he's been great this season but i would have personally liked to have seen wesley hoot go as well I, a lot of people have talked about how he's possibly been to blame for a lot of Vestergaard's mistakes yep. and, and, and he's probably had a portion of that, that blame put on him unfairly but I, I don't necessarily see that as the way forward I would play my Yoshida with somebody like Jan Bednarek in there or, or even give Jack Stevens a go because at the moment defensively things aren't working and I think that Mark Hughes needs to use the next 10 days or so to try and shake things up two massive games after the international break Newcastle and Bournemouth and if we don't get at least four points from those two games then for me he has to go Absolutely. Well, we've got Chelsea on the other hand who very much did the job. You know, they took their chances. They worked the ball very well. Hazard looked imperious again. And Ross Barkley got the nod after uh, an England call-up and looked bright throughout. I think he's taken note, potentially, of what England are lacking in the summer. He's, he's arguably changed his game as well as Sarri changing his game. And he's he's given them the opportunities. And I, I've always been quite a big fan of Ross Barkley. He's just very, very inconsistent. And, you know, he, earlier on in his career, would have comparisons with someone like Gascoigne, who is exactly who Southgate referenced that we need so you know there's no surprise that if you allow him to play if you put him in a really good team there's every chance that he will prosper and obviously he just needs to keep that up now and you know he's obviously back in that England squad now is is this something that he can build on and will we see him as a more regular feature? Well I think the key for Ross Barkley is playing football I think they showed a stat on Sky Sports before the game yesterday which was he's already played more minutes this season than he did in the whole of last season yep. and we're what eight nine games into the campaign so if he can stay fit and if he can hold down a position in that team then he's got every chance of making the England squad consistently the problem for Barkley has always been when he's gone into the England squad he's never really performed and he's never really been able to put a shift in that shirt and and be able to hold on to it so he's going to have to take his opportunity because and I know that we'll go on to talk about this more next week but there are a lot of young players coming through in similar positions to to the one that he plays at the moment he's gone to Chelsea and the reason that he is doing so well is because naturally he's playing among better players he has more time he has more space on the ball and it's easier for him to pick a pass there are players on a similar wavelength and that's probably what he struggled with a little bit especially towards the end of his Everton career I'm not convinced that he's the answer for England, but he's got as much chance as anybody else because Southgate's brought him into the squad. What he needs to do now is make sure that he capitalises by working as hard in training as he has done with Chelsea because he feels like he's been developed of late by Sarri and I think that Southgate's capable of doing the same in in the England setup. and it will be interesting to see how he gets on and, and from an England point of view, obviously, I think we all hope that he flourishes. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we've seen with England, particularly more recently, there's more players from Manchester City, Liverpool, Spurs, etc. that, you know, they're all playing at a higher level now. So hopefully he does just slot in there and he, he looks comfortable. But, you know, last word on Chelsea, I'm enjoying watching them. They look very, very well drilled and organised. And I really like the approach from Sarri. You know, he seems to approach every game perfectly. He adapts his tactics slightly. Um, he takes advantage at the right times and, and they they keep the ball very very well so i'm very very intrigued to see how the season goes for them one word though a, just a dreadful kit arguably the worst kit i've seen in the premier league for a very long time i'm not sure why they were wearing it either because no. um there's absolutely no clashes when you look at the uh the shirts that southampton wear so it's a strange one obviously it's just from a marketing point of view they want to sell more shirts but it was a yeah particularly bad one that one and as we've already said the game of the day came first up on sunday with 
Fulham hosting Arsenal and Fulham getting absolutely trounced 5-1 by Arsenal. They did indeed, and Arsenal were in rampant form. And obviously, after eight straight wins in all competitions, you're unlikely to make too many changes to your side. And the, there have been some question, questionable performances from certain players in that in the, in the Arsenal side of late. And Emery's been very, very kind to some of those players by sticking with them. But I think it shows the confidence and. It's something that we talked about early on in the season. I think it was the away game at Chelsea where he was really encouraging his players, even yep. when they were sort of skying the ball from a few yards out and that sort of thing. And in Lacazette and Aubameyang, they've got two strikers who are not only in form, but they've also got so much confidence. And you can see that that's brimming throughout the whole Arsenal side now. Yeah, they're just so clinical. You know, the finishing was, uh, particularly yesterday, was fantastic. And they've obviously got a good relationship between the two of them as well. And, and despite Aubameyang not even starting yesterday, he still comes on and scores two. And, you know, the, the confidence is obviously brimming. And at some point, it was always going to click. You know, they're winning games without playing particularly well. At some point, you know, they're Arsenal. They're not a, a hugely different personnel from the last few seasons. So, naturally, the football should be free-flowing. And, and, you know, they were very much at their best yesterday. I can also pick out someone like Hector Bellerin who I thought was was excellent and, and played a key role in the goals and obviously Aaron Ramsey um, you know superb when he came on and it, a great goal as well just after he came on and you know it's a surprise that you or potentially a surprise that you think Arsenal are potentially looking to shift him on and you know they is that just part of the new regime is that the direction they want to go in aside from Ramsey you know there's probably other players that that they may be looking to move on going forward? It's possible. I mean, you never know what's going on behind the scenes at a, a club. You don't know whether the, the the story that we've seen in the press of late has been leaked by his agent because he's trying to put pressure on Arsenal to make the first move. It's it's a difficult one to, to really know. But I, I think that in Aaron Ramsey, you've got a seasoned professional who will score goals from midfield, who moves the ball very quickly, and he likes to attack. I don't think he offers enough defensively, and that's possibly been why... He's been kept out of the side so far under Emery. I know that he's played from time to time, but but he hasn't been able to to hold down a starting place, and that will be concerning for somebody who's probably coming into the prime of his career now. I think he's what twenty six, twenty seven, and at that age, you want to be playing week in, week out because arguably that's that's your best years in football. He showed us yesterday in glimpses what he's capable of, and and the goal aside, I think that his performance was something that. Arsenal fans have probably been looking out for for a little while now because the, there has been a certain disconnect between the midfield and the forwards and he probably provided the platform that we've been looking for from somebody like Mesut Ozil on a regular basis and, and, and he's obviously struggled to do that. So Arsenal have got a huge amount of attacking options. They've been better at the back of late. They've kept clean sheets but I think against a better team yesterday they probably could have been punished because Fulham did create chances and it showed in the fact that Arsenal didn't get that second goal before half-time that it could have been so different looking at the way that Fulham came back into it just before the whistle. I think that's the interesting thing you say about playing the top teams and you know they they played two of them at the very start of the season and you couldn't really work anything out from Arsenal. Obviously they've been brilliant since then but in terms of picking up points anyway and not necessarily the performances and be interesting to see when they do come up against them what the differences will be if they will approach it differently or or actually whether they'll continue to struggle if they played them now for instance after a, a fairly simple and easy routine start to the season would it have made a difference well that's it and I think that Emery will be tested in these games I think one thing that he's doing at the moment which is very impressive is he's juggling the Europa League and the Premier League very well he's taking sides away to play in games that don't really mean a huge amount at this stage in the uh, in the tournament and he's keeping the the players that he sees as, as the real sort of Premier League pedigree at home and it, it will help and I know that Wenger tried to do the same thing in the Europa League last season but at times that squad had that many injuries that they were unable to cope on both fronts and I think that you have to look at the the top-down management the way that things have changed at Arsenal seems to be a real positive for, for, for both the players on the pitch and also the fans off it. There were chants yesterday. You, you heard some of the supporters singing, we've got our Arsenal back in the second half. And I think that it's been a while since we've seen a performance like that in the second half from yep. a team in the upper echelons of the Premier League who aren't really challenging. And like I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I don't necessarily think that Arsenal are title contenders this season. I don't think they've got enough strength and depth. And it will be interesting to see how they got on but I think what they are doing is they're putting themselves in the top four picture and I don't think that anyone necessarily expected them to be where they are already this season yeah you're right and quick word on Fulham you know they continue to leak goals it's a worry that they don't seem at all reluctant to try and play their way which you know you can applaud them for and, and commend them for but 
it just you know as soon as they go behind they struggle to adapt and, and they just get picked off and I wouldn't. Is that the right approach? Is he kind of itch under pressure now, potentially? I don't think that you can spend that much money in the summer and not be under pressure. I think if you're in Neil Warnock's situation or um, possibly David Wagner when he came up with Huddersfield last season, you don't spend massive amounts of money and therefore I don't think that you expect them to, to sack the manager if things start going badly. One thing that Jukanovic deserves is a, is a shot because he's got two teams promoted to the Premier League now playing a great brand of football but that, that may be the issue here and you've touched on it if Fulham continue to play the open free-flowing football that they like to do they will leave gaps and naturally if you are pushing people like Sessegnon up on one side it's going to leave a, a, a gap at the back I think it's important to remember that they were missing their first two choice right backs and, and, and left backs yesterday and therefore they had to work on a completely different formation that's probably what saw them come unstuck and it's not games like this that will ultimately cost you kind of his job what they need to do is they need to start picking up home wins and and if they can turn craven cottage into a bit of a fortress teams won't want to go there and and, and that's the way that they'll maintain the premier league status i still think they've got enough quality to probably find themselves in 12th 13th by by the end of the season but what they need to do is they need to develop a plan b because at the moment they're playing into sides hands and and that won't last probably past Christmas because they will start leaking more and more goals. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And now we've got two games that were like playoffs for seventh place. We've got Watford, Bournemouth and Leicester City, Everton. And we'll start at Watford who lost 4-0 to Bournemouth. And, you know, Bournemouth's biggest ever away win in the Premier League. And what a win it was. And this was despite Watford starting the brighter. And once Bournemouth scored the first and Watford went down 10 men when Cabasela was showing the red, there was only ever one winner. But to be 4-0 up just after the break is fantastic. It was. And uh, I think it was a really impressive attacking performance from Bournemouth. You look at the likes of Callum Wilson, Josh King, Ryan Fraser... But I think we need to talk a little bit about David Brooks. He went under the radar a little bit in the summer um, yeah. and he obviously joined from Sheffield United. There are a lot of clubs interested in him, but I think the reason that he went to Bournemouth was because Eddie Howard told him that he would guarantee him first-team football, yeah. which for somebody so young is is quite a statement to make as a Premier League manager. And He's been a bit of a revelation for them. Obviously, he scored a couple of goals in his last two performances and he just looks so assured on the ball. The way that Bournemouth moved the ball, it drags defenders all over the place and there were so many gaps on Saturday and they were extremely clinical. I know that both uh, Eddie Howe and Callum Wilson, when interviewed afterwards, said there were things that they would change, there were there were some negatives in there, they would have liked to have been more clinical. I don't think that you can argue with a 4-0 away performance and I think that as players you have to take every ounce of confidence that comes with that into the games going forward and there'll be one side who'll actually be a little bit disappointed that the international breaks arrived at this point yeah I think you're right and you know it's interesting to hear Eddie Howe say how they like to be the underdogs but they, they feel they can beat anyone and you know with displays like that it wouldn't be a great surprise to, to see them do that and you know it shows a great level of belief and, and you cannot blame them for doing so and I think if they can keep that confidence up you're right the, the break comes at the wrong time but if they can keep that confidence up get another few positive results you know they were happy to just build on last season's uh, I think ninth place finished and and now they're looking to build even further than that and I, I think they're going the right way about it and obviously playing the right brand of football to do so and I think you look at Watford on the other side of it they had an impressive start to the season and they seem to have dropped back into their old ways you know they finished terribly last year and is it the start of the end for Javi Gracia and it, it may sound ridiculous given the start but it's Watford, that's what they do. They recycle managers on a regular basis, potentially very quickly as soon as it starts going downhill. I think that what Watford will have to do is take a little bit of stock given how well they've started this season. I know that they would have liked to have beat Bournemouth at, at home on Saturday and the league can be like this at times. I mean, you look at Bournemouth a fortnight ago, they lost 4-0 away at Burnley and, yeah. and then they turned a performance in like this. So they need to stick to their methods. Things have worked really well for them in probably five out of their opening nine games and I don't think that there's any point in doing anything rash but like you say you never know with Watford another couple of bad results and Grazia could find himself under pressure but they they need to try to get back to what they were doing earlier on in the season and that was putting teams under pressure and I think that Bournemouth kind of played into Watford's hands initially when you looked at the starting lineups you looked at the the physical side that Watford have and then you look at the technical side that Bournemouth have and 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 actually Bournemouth showed how to play against that Watford side, drag defenders out, like I said earlier, make space, and you will be able to get in behind that side and you'll be able to score goals. And the red card changed the game, of course it did, but I don't think that you could argue with 
a Bournemouth win, even if it had stayed 11 aside. No, I agree. And we've also got the second of the seventh place playoffs, and that was Leicester City 1, Everton 2. And it was a rapid start from Everton. The two Brazilians in the side who linked superbly for the opener. Uh, Bernard's a real talent. I remember reading and, and watching a fair bit about him before the World Cup in Brazil a few years ago. And he was highly rated then and then kind of fell away. And it's a real opportunity for him to impress. And, and obviously alongside someone like Richarlison, who... You know, I, I won't go into a huge amount of detail on my thoughts on him, but he's back in the goals, and and you know, I don't think that's really the story of his week, though, is it? Because there was a Carabao Cup game as well, wasn't there in the week? There was, yeah. Um, and I like the format of the Carabao Cup now. The fact that it goes straight to penalties, yeah. I think that's a really good shout. Because let's be honest, nobody really likes extra Everything time. Everything should go straight. Uh, to yeah, any time, half time, any time a game goes. <laughs> To extra time, I think everybody watching it just wants it to go to penalties. Uh, I don't think that even as a as a supporter of either of the clubs, you necessarily no. want a goal at that stage. You just want it to go to pens. And um, it was a horrendous penalty. It was uh, kind of screamed of Simone Zaza in the in the World Cup. He managed to blaze it a good five yards over the bar from very close in. And uh, it's a blot on his copybook because he's been very good in the Premier League, but he can have these sort of Jekyll and Hyde performances with Charleston and he didn't do a huge amount other than the goal on Saturday I know that people say that's what he's there to do but yeah. ultimately when you're paying that much money for somebody you want him to be in there creating chances I took great pleasure in him missing that penalty I didn't see it and you sent it to me and it, it was the highlight of my Thursday <laughs> I could tell you that now but anyway back to the game as well as the Brazilian magic it was the main man again Gilfie Sigurdsson and what a goal it was a lovely turn and, and just bang just a, a perfect finish and you know we spoke last week about him being the fulcrum of that side now he needs to uh, impose himself on every game and, and Everton ultimately as they are showing are building that side around them uh, Leicester on the other hand they, they did get the equaliser before half time another counter attacking goal similar to the one they scored against Huddersfield a few weeks ago and you know funnily enough after conceding the early stages in this one uh, and that one it all went to pot and again it was Wes Morgan sent off for the second time this season I'm not sure how many games he's had back possibly his first game back was it but either way they've been unbeaten while he was out so does that tell you something about Wes Morgan? Of course Morgan? it does and not only that but Wes Morgan's had the audacity to say that he wants a review into refereeing following <laughs> right, this okay. decision now I don't know if Wes remembers the game on Saturday but there was at least two, if not three, challenges that he could have received yellow cards for. Yeah. So on that basis, it was an absolute stonewall sending off. And he continues to let that Leicester side down when he's been somebody who obviously pulled up trees for them in, in the title winning season. So if I was Claude Puel, I'd be getting him as far away from that side as possible. And I think for, for him, the international break probably comes at a good time because he can try and blood a different centre-half partnership because Harry Maguire's looked so good so far this season. Absolutely, and assuming we know the top six is the the kind of so-called big six, this is the seventh place playoff. Out of those four teams, uh, Leicester, Everton, Watford and Bournemouth, who's getting the seventh place for you today, as it is today? I would go for Everton. Yeah. I think that they, they've probably got enough about them, and I think that as much as we said that Richarlison probably won't get goals, I think that he will probably chip in with a few here and there. I think that Tosin's a good player, although that he's struggled to, to score that many so far. I think that he probably does a job for that side in, in dragging defenders away and, and, and leaving room for players to, to get into those positions. And in Sigurdsson, they've got somebody who, if he can get 15 goals from midfield this season, the amount of assists that he provides as well, you would have thought that going forward they'd probably score enough goals to get seventh their issue as ever will be their defense and uh, an injury to one of their their better defenders could really cause problems but yeah I would go for Everton what about you yeah I'd have to agree I think you know they've probably got the best squad out of all of them and um, as, as much as I like Bournemouth and I'd like to see them do that I, I think it's probably one step too far for them at the moment so I think yeah on that basis Everton and you know regardless what Richarlison does I don't think it'll really make a huge difference because I think ultimately they've got the best squad out of all of them absolutely right but that's it for the first half of the Premier League join us after this break where we're going to a cabbage charge championship maybe I don't take on the chin when players have not had a career have have played at a really bad level throughout their career and, and come for people that have achieved what I've achieved in the game um, you know, Robbie Savage being one. <laughs> it's... Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast, and we are taking a trip to the Championship 
And first of all, I think we've got to address the elephant in the room, the big old elephant that is Steve Bruce and Cabbage Gate. And I think, just get it out of the way first, I've got to state for the record, I've got a huge amount of respect for the man. Uh, he had a hell of a job on his hands last year with the personal problems that he had as well. And uh, for him to come out and front up with that is... is uh, fully worthy of, of our respect as, as fans and as football fans as well and you know in the main he did a good job and, and I thank him for that I, I do maintain that he probably did let us down in the playoff final um, tactics were all wrong lack of substitutions at the right times and obviously since then this season hasn't gone well and you know I blame the players as much as I blame him but equally if you put them in the wrong positions they're always likely to struggle and, and there was some confidence issues as well and it, and it absolutely was the right time I think perhaps if he stepped down in the summer could have all been avoided and and you know you go your separate ways and and everyone's a little bit more uh gracious but that wasn't the case and and you know regardless of what happened nobody deserves to be treated like uh, that and have anything thrown at them regardless whether it's a cabbage or a coin or a bottle it's mildly amusing that it was a cabbage just because it's so random but ultimately, it's an absolute disgrace. It is indeed. I don't think that there's really any anyone who should a be allowed to enter a football stadium <laughs> yeah. with a cabin. I mean, you need to look at your security here. How's yeah. somebody getting a cabin into the ground for starters? Um, but b what possesses somebody to think it's a good idea to throw that at somebody? Not only could it have hurt Steve Bruce, it could have hurt a fellow fan. It yeah, could yeah. have could have caused real damage. And it's it's just a bonkers sort of way to end your reign at a club where. We we were talking only last week about the fact that you're due to play Preston in the week and then Millwall and, and your season ultimately could have been turned round in those two games and all his reign at Aston Villa will be remembered for now isn't getting you to the playoff final and that run of I think nine or ten wins you had last season yep. will be remembered for what happened in that game on Wednesday so it, it's just a really weird end and like you say I, I have a lot of respect for Steve Bruce as well it will probably do him good to have a bit of a break from the game and, and hopefully he'll come back refreshed and go to a club where he can get on with the, the, the fans and, and, and hopefully get himself up from the championship into the Premier League because he's become a bit of a specialist in that and it's just a shame that he couldn't do it at Villa and on to the next one We've been linked with uh, quite a few people and uh, there's a couple from kind of left field as well and top of the pile seem to be Thierry Henry, Rui Faria, Mourinho's pal and uh, Brennan Rogers as well and it, it, it seems as though Christian Perslow has been approaching these people already and um, I, I don't really know what I want, you know, I'd probably be happy with any of those, I think it's probably time that we could take a bit of a risk and if we have to stay down for another season, we have to stay down for another season. We're still very much in touching distance and only a few wins changes things. And I think we're just due a new approach. You know, we've got new owners, we've got a new sporting director in there. And I think it's time for us to look at something maybe a little bit different and change the, the style of the football club. Did Christian Perslow work with Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool? Is that the connection? Um, is that why? why um, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not sure. I think, I think the thing is with Rodgers is he's in a position with Celtic now where to be fair only this season he's had a competitive league you know he gets to the same kind of position in the Champions League they'll win a trophy they'll win a league every year and and it it just probably gets a little bit repetitive and I think he's probably got more to offer he will no doubt be frustrated because if he doesn't do those things with Celtic he'll just get criticised instantly and, and he won't want his reputation to be tarnished as a result of that and I think you know, Villa were very fortunate that we're a, we're a big club. We've got very good facilities. We've got a great history, and I think that would be an ideal opportunity for him to come in and build something from scratch again. He's probably not going to get an opportunity at one of the top six clubs in the Premier League. And you know, do you want to take a, a mid-table kind of, not necessarily mediocre team squad, but you're going to have to build something at least, build it with someone very much at the bottom at the moment and who knows I mean you know he said he's happy at Celtic but equally he's got the opportunity to to go and do something different if he wants to do that interestingly Thierry Henry seems to be the favourite at the moment and John Terry hung up his boots officially yesterday and there's a bit of a rumour that Henry could have Terry as his number two and come in as a little managerial dream team absolutely right and I think that we have to look at what's happened in the last sort of week or so in the championship because that's what's led to Steve Bruce's sacking yeah you know he sacked uh, after a topsy-turvy game against Preston and you know Villa drew three all with them and, and it was following a last minute penalty that was missed by Glenn Whelan which was just a shocking decision all round um, I couldn't quite believe what I was seeing and you know there's there's not many players on the pitch that you would necessarily put forward for a penalty, but there was enough 
that you would put Glen Whelan at the back of the pile. And that's the disappointing thing, you know, it's the, the little decisions that are potentially changing the course of the season. And whether it's Steve Bruce or whether it's the team, individuals, I'm not sure. And, and frankly, I don't really care. Glen Whelan should not be taking penalties. And, you know, we drew the game. We've then followed that with two on defeat at Millwall, which is obviously with Kevin McDonald's in, in charge. And they're the bottom two clubs and we've got one point and it's just simply not good enough. Things need to change, and whether that's Steve Bruce's fault or whether it's uh, further on through the club, I'm not entirely sure, and I think this just gives us a new, fresh perspective and we can move on from it. Away from Aston Villa, though, uh, you've also got, at the top of the pile, you've got West Brom, who had a great week with a draw at Sheffield Wednesday, and a 4-1 win at home to Reading. Likewise, Leeds picked up four points, which meant both have, have been... Are still up there, but they've actually been leapfrogged by Sheffield United, who sit very much top of the league. And this was after an impressive away win at Blackburn in the week and a 1 0 home win against Holland. Chris Wilder's got his side piling on the pressure like last season, and actually, this could very much be their year. They dropped off a lot last season, yeah. didn't they? I think they finished about 10th in the end, and, and they had a real slump. And you wonder whether they'll. they'll do a similar thing this season but at least the players will have the experience of, of what they went through at this stage last season to to try and get themselves over the line if they are able to maintain it up to the sort of March April sort of time. Yeah absolutely but the league's so close and I'm, I'm already looking forward to the return after the international break it should be an absolute delight but join us after our short break where we will get back into the Premier League and you mean you've made your name as a wheeler and dealer. There's not no, been much not, wheeling and no, dealing, no, 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 I'm not a wheeler and dealer. No, <laughs> no, oh, oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. Welcome back to the third part of this week's Sweeper podcast, and it's time to get into it. It's time to go to Manchester, a trip to Old Trafford where Jose Mourinho got out of jail late, late on. What can we say about this? It was the, the first half performance from Manchester United was possibly the worst I've ever seen from the club. It was frankly embarrassing. And I think if anyone in authority was thinking about firing Mourinho before the game, they must have been licking their lips knowing they had this as the reasoning by half-time. And Newcastle two up within 10 minutes and could and really should have been three when Muto had his shot saved by De Gea. But it didn't last though, did it? Inevitably... United went to plan B, Fellaini on at half-time, more direct, more organised, although that wasn't really very difficult, and they just just kind of showed they wanted it more, and I think the fans will have been happier with that performance in the second half, kind of regardless of the result, but to then go and get the win is magnificent for them. Yeah, it, it could be the turning point in their season, but I think we've talked about this all too often of late, the fact that Manchester United struggle in, in, in games and, and now and again they come out with a, a, a decent performance yeah. in one half and let's be honest Newcastle haven't been great this season they've they've been one of the worst teams in the Premier League and that's shown by the fact they are in the relegation zone but the fact they're able to go 2-0 up so easily so early on and the the fact was that this game had been built up massively from a Manchester United point of view Mourinho was under pressure and to open up with, with 15 minutes of lacklustre defending, poor attacking play and, and allowing a team who've got such a poor record at Old Trafford to, to run you ragged probably shows how much confidence there is, not only in the uh, the players, but also from a fan's point of view and the manager at the moment. And, and it obviously goes further than that. I think everybody saw Gary Neville's interview on Monday Night Football, or sorry, was it Monday Night Football? Friday Night Football, wasn't yep, it? Friday when, Night uh, Football. When West Ham played Brighton, and and his opinion is that that the, the club is currently rotten to the core, and yep. it would be hard to disagree with that. Looking at not only the first fifteen minutes, but the first half performance in general. Yeah, I, I thought it was quite interesting from from what I gather. Mourinho just said, you know, we've, we've got to be better than that. Simply got to be better than that. And um, regardless of the result, let's just go out and, and crack on. And ultimately, I think. You know, he probably took the pressure off his players for maybe the first time in a long time to just say, let's just go out and play football. Don't worry about winning. Don't worry about expectations of being at Old Trafford, being Manchester United. And although that has to play a part and that will be in their mind, you know, he has finally done his job in instilling some confidence in his players, almost saying to them, look, we are way better than this. It's not going to get any worse than it was in the first half. Let's just go out there. Let's enjoy it. Let's just play with a little bit of confidence and eventually it will get us back to where we should be. And, you know, once they scored that first one, you just felt they would go on and win the game. It, it There was just something there. There was an atmosphere that... And it just felt like the old days under Ferguson where... 
you n- could never rule out Manchester United from from snatching defeat from you know the jaws right at the last seconds. Yeah, and I think you you look at somebody like Paul Pogba who has been hugely criticised of late, not just by Mourinho, and and I think that Mourinho's done it in a very clever way because he's not been as frank as that. But uh, the, the the way that he's basically said that he'll never be Manchester United captain again, he's stripped him of the vice captaincy. Um, the training ground bust-up that they had of late showed that Mourinho didn't necessarily believe in his abilities to to really drag the team through. But I think Pogba showed in that second half that he, he's got that ability. And it was almost the Pogba that we saw playing for France in the World Cup in the summer. But the problem with Manchester United, and it, and it has been a problem all season, is the lack of consistency. They will go from a performance like that second half one where it only looked like one team were going to win to conceding a corner and then almost allowing Newcastle to equalise after the, the, the third goal went in. And it's just a bonkers way of playing football because you just don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, you've got to feel for Newcastle though. They, to be fair, probably didn't know what to do when they went 2-0 up. Uh, two points from eight games is, is woeful. You know, there's no there's no beating around the bush. It's not good enough. And it, it's an interesting one. How are they actually this bad? You know, they finished 10th last season and, you know, there's plenty to be said about it. And I want to get your thoughts and, and give mine as to what's gone wrong for them you know how can you how can you get to the dizzy heights of the top half of the table and then have two points from the opening eight games of the season I think part of Newcastle's problem is the approach that they have to games against teams around them and games against the bigger teams I think that tactically they differ so much from one game to the next that players are confused over what their jobs are and I think this shows on the pitch the way that they lined up against Chelsea and Manchester City earlier in the season was incredibly defensive they looked like they basically wanted to play for a draw and and you can't criticize a side too much for that if ultimately they're they're successful in what they do but the problem has been when they've then gone to play against teams like Crystal Palace and we saw this last Saturday they kind of looked like they'd set up the same way and and you're not going to 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 win games that way you're only going out there to try not to lose them and that's not the kind of approach for a team who finished 10th last season to be able to sustain themselves in the Premier League. They they should have tried to build on that finish. Ultimately, they should have brought more players in the summer, yes, but Benitez knew what his squad was at the start of this season. And People talk about him being a tactical genius, and I think defensively he's very good, but at some point he's going to have to loosen the reins a little bit on those players, and he's going to have to try and give them a little bit more licence going forward. I think that Manchester United created the, the chances for Newcastle on Saturday. I don't necessarily think that it was Newcastle as an attacking force that particularly deserved a huge amount and and this is what Benitez needs to consider is he going to go out there and try and nick games 1-0 against the sides around them or is he happy to push on a little bit and all the time that this confusion exists for Newcastle I can't see them getting too far away from that relegation zone yeah I think you're right you know the the, the saving grace that last year was very much a solid defence and they conceded very little but for a club conceding fewer goals than probably three quarters of the clubs in the league they only had a goal difference of plus eight which kind of tells you everything you need to know they simply just didn't score enough goals and I think now as soon as they start leaking goals they're just in a, a world of danger I think they got lucky last season uh, then lost one less game than both Stoke and West Brom who both went down but they managed to pick up a few wins, particularly against you know Chelsea and Arsenal at home, and you know that Chelsea side had given up by the end of the season, preparing for the cup final, and then you know before then they they go on runs of four or five games just with constant losses, and the the form was poor then really at the end of the season. They've just dragged it into this season, and I think what I've also said already this season is. Their, their squad is one of the worst in the league without a shadow of a doubt for me they haven't strengthened uh, they've not sorted any of the off the pitch issues and you know their better players haven't been playing well or even at all this season and I think there has to be significant change from top to bottom at that club at that club we speak about it week in week out but if they want to improve long term in particular things have to change and ultimately Mike Ashley will be more than happy with the season's worth of money in the Premier League that they got last year and without a huge amount of outlay as well and then honestly is he going to be bothered if they go down this season? You're probably right I don't think he will care that much because he will still get the money like you say and, and from a Newcastle point of view there's so much of a disconnect between the fans the board and the players that something is going to give at that football club at some point I can't see Benitez being there at the end of the season I just think no. that the club is tumbling far too close to, to, to relegation problems and at some point Ashley will make that decision and to... it's not not his fault is it it's not Benitez's fault no. so regard, you know if they went down they're still there at the end of the season it still wouldn't be his fault his reputation wouldn't necessarily be in tatters 
he could jump ship now if he wanted to and nobody would blame him at all because the way that, that club's run and the boss that he's got in Mike Ashley is is becoming a bit of a joke and Newcastle shouldn't be like that at all it, you know I feel very very sorry for their fans they've got a, a rich history of, of being run the the right way until more recent years and and becoming a, a, a almost a powerhouse in English football at times and now that couldn't be any further from from the truth absolutely right and they have struggled so far this season as have Huddersfield but they picked up a creditable one all draw away at Burnley on Saturday and uh, could this be a bit of a, a sign of of a change for Huddersfield potentially yeah you know they'll take the positives in in what was probably their best performance and you know to, to go to Burnley you can look at this two ways you know to have nearly 70 percent possession 19 shots against their six 10 corners it's it's there's positives to be taken it's fantastic to see that however that's what you get from Burnley they give you a lot of the ball they're happy to let you have chances and I wonder whether that sort of confidence they'll take on into the next few games and know that they've got the ability to do that or whether it's a one-off for Huddersfield I would hope from their point of view that they're able to build on this because it's all about turning performances into results and I think that the the problem for Huddersfield all season and, and for large parts of last season was scoring goals and particularly scoring goals away from home and, and they will be pleased with a point here and as daft as this sounds I think they probably would have preferred a one all than a nil nil I think you, yeah. you, you you need to start scoring goals goals breed confidence within that side and, and I think that David Wagner is somebody who's able to instill confidence in players but ultimately if, if, if the goals aren't coming then they will start to drop their heads and I think creating chances against the Burnley side is, is is difficult. I know what you're saying about them often giving you the ball because they like to play on the counter-attack but you have to look at the way they took a, a, a very good Bournemouth side apart 4-0 there a couple of weeks ago. Yep. We've mentioned it already once and, and I think most people predicted Burnley to add to that run of victories on Saturday and, and Huddersfield going there and, and getting a point shows a little bit of steel that, that, that they really need and it is a point and it is Burnley but ultimately you can only get points against the teams that you're up against and they will hopefully be able to, to use this as a springboard for the games that they've got coming up because if they haven't got to sort of I'd say at least 15 points by Christmas then it's going to be a very hard second half of the season for them. Yeah you're absolutely right and with Burnley you know they will be disappointed not to get the win uh, a good period recently and, and they will want to build on that but I, I I do worry about the amount of opportunities that they let happen in front of them, and eventually, you know, there will be a side like Huddersfield who do struggle to score, who will be turning them over and taking away three points from Turf Moor. And these are the games that they absolutely need to be looking to win because I don't think Burnley are going to pull up many trees against the top sides. And I do still have a worry for them. Um, that said, they are still creating chances, and you know that as well as Barnes and Woods they've also got Sam Vokes as well who's scoring goals and they've got the joint highest assist maker in the league in, in Johan Berg Goodmanson so there's definitely positives to be taken from Burnley but at, at some point the the rock could set back in again that they got at the start of the season I'm not sure how much they've actually changed to, to deflect away from where they were no you're right but there are green shoots and I think when you look at where Burnley were a few weeks ago they would have absolutely snapped your hand off if you'd have offered them yeah, I think they're 12th at the moment yeah. so I think if you'd have offered them that a few weeks ago when they were sat I think bottom of the league if not in the bottom three then the fans certainly would have uh, have taken it and, and, and they need to build on things as well but in Sean Dyche they've got an experienced manager there who knows what he needs to do in the lower echelons of the Premier League and I think I'm more confident in their ability to stay up now than I probably was a, a fortnight ago yeah, that, that that's fair, and and I think we have to move on to another struggler, really. Crystal Palace, they um they lost to Wolves one nil at uh, Sellers Park, and Wolves looked fantastic in this one again. They uh, controlled much of the game, playing their own style, set the record, fielding an unchanged side for the eighth game on the bounce, and consistency is very much the key for them. They look very solid at the back, and you know that's against anyone as well, home and away, even even the top teams, and I'm sure they'll have a run playing more of the top teams a bit later on. I think they've had quite a a red, I wouldn't say an easy start, but a little bit more comfortable than they possibly could have. And I think it's very important that that defence stays resolute and it gives them something to build on every week because they are a patient side and that's that's the way they play. They don't panic and and they you know they do have a, a kind of plan B which potentially some of the promoted teams don't necessarily have. We've spoken about Fulham who play one way 
and it's it's a dangerous way of playing. You know, they'll get big wins every now and again. Wolves will be more than happy to just pick up one nils and and even draws away from home as well. Yeah, and they've been very good at keeping clean sheets so far this season. Yeah. Like you say, their defence has been very impressive, and they haven't made that many big money signings in defence other than Rui Patricio and somebody that they got for a bit of a snip. And I know that obviously there's still an investigation going on over that transfer, but he was in inspired form on Saturday. I think it was a double save from Max Meyer and then Jeff Schlupp in the second half, which maintained that three points for Wolves and, and you look back on performances as a, a side who are trying to push for the, the top seven or eight and, and I think that in Wolves they will look at a game like this where they could have quite easily dropped two points and, and that could be the key for their season going forward. You you really struggle not to like what Wolves are doing and, and, and I think it's it's hard for the more established Premier League teams to, to, to understand why they're unable to do this because ultimately from a budget point of view you've probably got similar budgets for the majority yep. of teams who tend to be around the area but I think in Wolves they've not been scared to actually give it a go and you can't really look too far beyond the momentum that the promotion from the championships give, gives you you've got a winning team there you've got a mentality of players who are used to going out week in week out and winning games and, and they've, they've transferred that into the Premier League and as it stands, there doesn't look like they're going to be caused too many problems by the teams around them. Like you say, the real litmus test for Wolves will be when they play the top six and how they get on. And I think in the only game they've had against them so far, they got a creditable one-all draw yep. at home to City. So Patricio will be over the moon with, with, with his start to that season. And I think that a solid back four is really important for Wolves going forward. Yeah, and Crystal Palace need to get some points from this. You know, they've ended up with nothing, tough games to come against the top sides, no home wins as well yet this season, and, and that's got to be a worry for them. And one thing I've noticed recently, and, and, you know, noticed it a few times, is the frustration from Wilfred Zahar when he doesn't get the ball or puts it on a plate for others, and he's, he's a bit stroppy at times. And, and I, I worry about that mentality because that's not going to rub off on the rest of the team. We've obviously seen how much individual brilliance he's got and how much he can change a game, but is it does he think he's better than everyone else is is it fair for him to do that and you know is is that the right approach for him to be having it's tough because you would argue that that Crystal Palace without Wilfred Zaha would get relegated i think that if he took him out of that side and said to them that you're going to have to go out with the squad that you've got at the moment then they would struggle towards the end of the season and and you look at Crystal Palace you said they haven't picked up any any um points at home so far i don't think they've scored a goal at home and that, that in itself tells its own story. If Wilfred Zahar isn't playing, they don't tend to score goals. And it it is difficult because from an ego point of view, you would you would have thought that he would get as much out of a victory for the team as he would scoring a goal for himself. But he has been put on a pedestal, and, and, and rightly so, because his performances, particularly towards the back end of last season, were what kept Palace in the Premier League. And he's at a bit of a crossroads in his career. He's just signed a new contract with Palace. I'm not necessarily convinced that's worth the paper it's written on because we know why he signed that so that they can probably try and get the yep. the largest transfer fee going for him. I, I'm not convinced that that he needs to move on, but I think what Crystal Palace need to do is they need to bring in a little bit more quality. And I thought that somebody like Max Meyer would, would, would really do that for them. Probably somebody who's struggled in, in, in the last couple of years of his career, but has the potential to be of Zahar's level and so far that just hasn't happened so it must be frustrating because as the best player in the team it must be annoying playing with players who aren't at your level but equally he knew what he signed up for in, in going back to Palace from Manchester United he wanted to, to to regain the confidence that had seen him do so well early on in, his, on in his career and I think that he'd do well not to forget that that team have given him a way out of that and, and it, it's something that he's going to have to learn to temper because if he doesn't then teams might be put off from signing him indeed moving on to Brighton 1 West Ham 0 and it's Friday night football and what what do you reckon Friday night football do you like it no, it, no? why I'm just not a fan I, I, I think football for me is, is, is either Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon I'm not a massive fan of a lunchtime kickoff on a Saturday either I, I, I don't mind the the Saturday five o'clock kickoffs. I think that's that, that's quite a good one but I don't like football on a Friday night or a Saturday night I just think that it should be kept to certain times and, and not only that but it makes it difficult sometimes for supporters as well so quite a traditional point of view but uh, keep it for Saturday afternoon Sunday afternoon and Monday nights absolutely fine and there's the game as well you know the the, <laughs> <laughs> the, the game of two halves and Brighton were the better in the first half and they took the lead through Glenn Murray who notched in the 25th minute and you know he scored the only goal of the game third highest scoring English striker this year 
if he wasn't as old as he is, and, you know, 35's no age, really, but would he get a look in for England, do you think, or is he that unfashionable? I don't he think he would. I think if Roy Hodgson was still the manager, then he'd have a pretty good chance. I'd oh, be starting every game yeah, still and, now. And, and you yeah. saw that in the way that he called up players like Ricky Lambert in his time there. But I just think Southgate's a more forward-thinking manager. I know that the type of football he likes to play doesn't suit somebody like Glen Murray. And there's been an opportunity for Southgate to get in a player who would, would suit that style of football previously. But he always goes for somebody like Danny Welbeck, who suits the methods that, that, that he tries to play with. So... I think Glenn Murray could get 15, 20 goals a season. I'm, I'm still not convinced he's getting in that England side. He's, uh, he's, he's looked fantastic though, and he is absolutely everything Brighton need because you know they will keep clean sheets, but it's goals they will struggle with, and, and he's just a consistent goal scorer, which is fantastic for them. But I think you look at West Ham, you know, second half they were the better side, and they just couldn't capitalise. And although Brighton weren't without their chances, it, it would be West Ham that you would have thought would be uh, getting something from the game, and. I think for them, you know, they're very much getting into their stride now. They'll be they'll be much more content to keep the performances up because inevitably they're going to pick up the wins. And I think, you know, the worry is that they've lost seven of the last ten away and they need to improve on that because it's fair to say the London Stadium is not really a fortress and probably won't be for some time. No, and I think as a West Ham fan, if you'd have looked at the run of fixtures coming up, I think they've played Manchester United and Chelsea recently and, and also they, they, they won away at Everton they probably wouldn't have expected to pick points up from that. So then to go to Brighton and put in a performance like this, which is pretty lacklustre for yep. them on Friday night, will be a disappointment. Um, West Ham will be absolutely fine. They're not going to go down. I'm not convinced that they're going to get in the top seven either. But if they can finish top half this season, then that's a really good platform to build on because I think they've got a good manager in place now and they're willing to spend money to try and change their fortunes at home. So it, it could be an exciting season for West Ham as a club. And I think that they could probably go quite quite far in the FA Cup as well if they get a relatively favourable draw was there another game uh, should we should we I, I kind of feel like we need to cover it but I don't want to it was about as dull as dishwater this one wasn't it yeah Spurs beat Cardiff 1-0 at Wembley and Spurs look boring and lethargic Cardiff just are boring and you know it was never a, never going to be a classic but you would have thought Spurs would come out of it with a, a relatively comfortable win with probably a few goals and looking to get their confidence up but it just it, they, they never really seemed to get going they never needed to go for it either and I wonder whether they could go into another gear or whether they're just a little bit out of form sporadically finding form here and there because we've seen them have two or three games and then two or three games where they've not been so good and I wonder where Spurs are at the minute. I'm not really sure, and maybe there's the uncertainty over the stadium. There's the the kind of disappointing results in the Champions League. There's there's positives and negatives, and you you know you have to work out for yourself which one you're gonna you're gonna mull over. And it seems for the negatives now. Yeah, I think that Spurs will be happy with where they are at the moment. I think they're uh, fourth in the league. Yeah, and it's still they're, there. They're only a couple of points off the top, and from that point of view, I think it's a really good start to the season. Like you say, the disappointment for. Tottenham is that the performance in the Champions League have been really poor and um, you would have expected them to do better and they were outclassed by Barcelona in the week and maybe it was just a bit of a hangover from that game against Cardiff on Saturday you would have thought that Harry Kane would have lapped up playing against a defence who've shipped quite a few goals so far but I mean Warnock's side were resolute and I think that Again, we talk about if you'd have offered fans certain things. I think if you'd have offered Cardiff fans a 1-0 defeat at Wembley, they would have taken it all day long. And it's it's a mentality thing with Cardiff, which I think could have let them down at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, you, you say they'd have been happy with the 1-0, but actually they had chances. You know, on another day, given the, the, the form that Spurs were in, they could have got a draw. You know, they show that fight and there's just not enough quality. And then you, you get what is arguably one of the worst professional files I think I've ever seen from Joe Rawls. And... I can't even believe that Neil Warnock suggested that the Spurs players influenced the ref. It was dreadful. It's just absolutely mental from Warnock that he'd even go there. I like the fact that these challenges have been upgraded, if you like, to red cards this season because professional fouls previously were you kind of always associate them with a yellow card, but this season there's been a couple of reds given for them, and I think it's a really disappointing way of watching football when your team's on the break and you've maybe got a three-on-one situation somebody can't get back to track a player so they just take them out from behind and actually he gets away with a yellow card your team have lost the momentum and you get a free kick in a position that doesn't really help you so it's great to see that that, that referees are, are getting closer to this and I think it's a rule that should be looked at more and more in the Premier League but it was it was horrendous it could have yeah. broken his leg and and 
I just don't think that you can go in and challenge another professional footballer in that manner and have any excuses to be sent off. But that's Neil Warnock. He'll back his players to the end. And I think Harry Kane had every right to, to sort of run over, probably to try and confront Rawls about why he'd done it in the first place. And, and, and in doing that, he actually probably diffused the situation a little bit because it stopped other Tottenham players from getting to it. You're absolutely right. That's it for the Premier League. That's it for a couple of weeks from the Premier League as well. Looking forward to the break. We've obviously got the international break and we'll be doing a bit of an England special next week. We've got plenty to talk about. It's obviously the two games and a bit of a new look squad as well. And, and you know, we want to talk about those that are in the squad. We want to talk about those that are not in the squad as well. Because there's a few names that, that have been mentioned that haven't made it in. So I, I think we've got plenty to go up. Yeah, we've talked a little bit there about Glenn Murray. We'd like to get your opinion in terms of who you think should have made the England squad this time around. Whether Gareth Southgate got it right in calling up the likes of Jaden Sancho and Mason Mount. It would be great to know if you think that there's anybody who's missed the opportunity because obviously we watch Premier League football week in, week out, but it's it's sometimes difficult to understand if there's somebody who's doing a really good job at a club but doesn't necessarily get the coverage they deserve. So get in touch with us. Mitch will tell you how after this break and we will discuss that next week. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast. And just before we get to the quiz, we've got some social media outlets to get to you and the Fantasy Premier League standings. But if you want to get in touch with us, like Mike said before, you can get us on Twitter at the Sweeper Pod, Instagram and Facebook, search the Sweeper Podcast, email us at the Sweeper Podcast at gmail.com. And as ever, get on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. We want to get up the charts and into the algorithms. And if you can't get us on iTunes, Get us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, Audio Boom, Deezer, other things that I can't even remember, but basically everywhere that you can find a podcast. And get in touch with us to tell me how good I'm doing at fantasy football, because I am having a stormer at the minute. You are indeed, yeah. So we gave our Fantasy Premier League Manager of the Month award last month to uh, a listener of ours. and. Uh, Unfortunately, this month, we're going to have to give it to one of the co-hosts. And as Mitch has just said, it is him. He's had an absolute flyer so far this season and currently finds himself in the top, what was it, 5,000 5, players in the world. and out that's out of 5 mil. Yeah, 5 million. So uh, Mitch is doing particularly well. What are the standings looking like? How many points are you clear of the uh, the other Champions League so contenders? I am, I think it's 37 points ahead of Oystein Bang, our favourite Mr. Bang. Uh, and then we've got, where's Michael Hole? In 8th, and I am... Oh, about 90 points ahead, I think. 85 points ahead, yeah. I'm doing all right, though. I I think I was about 18th last time we spoke, so I'm I'm climbing the table very, very slowly. But, uh, but yeah, we'll get there. Anyone who wants to join the league, especially if they've currently got more points than Mitch, (laughs) that's more than welcome. Tell your pals if they're flying to, uh, to, to get involved. We will tweet the code out later. Anyway, I think we should move on to the quiz, and it's time for a bit of redemption because my last quiz questions were poor, so I've done a lot of research this week, and if any of these are incorrect, then I'll be damned. So, it's the Blockbusters theme, and we're kicking off with J. J is for John, T is for Terry. Oh, God. The big man announced his retirement yesterday ahead of a potential move to the cabbage patch that is Villa Park. What I want to know is, other than Chelsea and the Villains, who is the other team that JT has turned out for? That'll be Nottingham Forest, Michael. It is Nottingham Forest, where he played six games on loan in 2000. Question two, after a nice, easy opener. S is for Steve and Sparky. Steve. And this is your 50-50 question. I'd like to know who has managed more professional teams. Ooh. Teams include international positions. Yeah. Out of Steve Bruce and Mark Hughes. Okay, let's try and work this out. So, show us your workings. Wales, Wales, Blackburn, uh, Southampton, Fulham. Where else has Hughes been? It's been somewhere else. Man City, uh, Stoke. That's six. Has he been anywhere else? Uh, possibly, but let's wait and see. There's people shouting at the radio at the moment. Yeah, They're there will be. Their, uh, uh, their podcast device. Alright, let's move on to Steve Bruce. Who have okay. you, you got for Bruce? I'm still thinking about Mark Hughes. Uh, Aren't we all? 
where was he before he went to Southampton? It's Stoke. Right, anyway, <laughs> let's forget about that. So, Steve Bruce has been at Birmingham, Wigan, Hull, Villa. Uh, Hull, Villa, where else has he been? Sunderland. Oh, it's going to be close, isn't it? It's going to be tight. That's the idea. Uh, I will go, on the basis that I think I can think of more from Hughes, I will go with Mark Hughes. Steve Bruce is, is the it? answer, yeah. Steve Bruce has had eight, Mark Hughes has had seven. Bloody hell. So Steve Bruce, you had Sheffield United, Huddersfield, oh, he's been course, at Wigan yeah. twice, Crystal Palace, Birmingham, Sunderland, Hull and Aston Villa. Yeah. Mark Hughes, Wales, Blackburn, Manchester City, Fulham, QPR, oh, Stoke QPR. and Southampton. So that's one out of two. Yeah. M is for Mad Max Power. Mad Max was sent off on Saturday during Sunderland's 2-1 away victory at Bradford. What I'd like to know is how many games will he be suspended for as a result of the incident? Given I haven't seen it, I have absolutely no idea. I don't even know what he was sent off for. Uh, but I will go with nine. <laughs> it's not nine, no. It's four. Um, right. It's it, it's four. I thought you might have seen this. It's his second sending off of the season, and... Uh, he was lambasted because I think he kicked out of somebody and uh, as much as he's been a decent player for Sunderland this season, his uh, disciplinary record has been uh, pretty poor. So that's one out of three. Question four. Which D joined Tottenham in 2012, playing there for one season and scoring seven goals in 29 appearances? 2012. Yeah. Um, this player played a part in a Europa League run where I think Tottenham got to the quarterfinals. That is a great question because I've got no idea. It's uh, not Nicholas Bentner. <laughs> no. Just one season. Yep. Uh, he joined in August 2012 and left in August 2013. Um. Uh, Edgar Davids. Edgar Davids is incorrect. Right. The answer is Clint Dempsey. Oh, yeah. And finally, we've got a bit of European flavour to add to the quiz. Brilliant. Which T won the European Golden Boot in the 2005-2006 season, scoring 31 goals? European Golden Boot as in the top As in the leagues. top the top goal scorer in Europe for that season and I will give you a clue on this one he plays in the country for which he was born in if that makes sense so the league that he plays in yeah. is the top league in the country that he was born in what year was it? 2005-2006 so straight away you can obviously write off anyone who's who's playing in a foreign league from their international status um I, I literally have no idea. Okay. John Dal Thomason. It's not John Dal Thomason. The answer was Luca Tony. Right. For Fiorentina. Okay. Um, he scored 31 goals. Mitch is shaking his head. What a mental set of questions that was. All well, right. all right. I personally, I thought they were uh, they were pretty good. Pretty good. Get in touch with us and let us know. Mitch isn't happy, but what he has done is he has levelled the scores at seven apiece. So going into next week, I don't know, we haven't discussed this, is there going to be an international theme to next week's questions? Are we going to do head-to-head as we normally do on an international break? Uh, I think we'll do some sort of head-to-head international special. Absolutely. So get in touch with us, give us some clues if there's any questions that you want us to ask. Mitch has already told you how to get in touch with us. Thank you very much for listening this week. We look, we look forward to 10 days off without any Premier League and Championship football. By the time we come back... Villa will have Thierry Henry and John Terry as their managerial dream team and hopefully Southampton will have got rid of Mark Hughes. Bye bye. bye.